Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. Happy Oscar seasons, Lizzie. And a merry Oscar season to you as well, Sam. Thank you so much. This is uh, the most wonderful time of the year, as we put it, because we get <laughs> to be hypercritical of <laughs> of movies that lost in, in past years. We get to let our saltiness out. Yeah, it's like, it gives us another reason to be bitter, I think. I mean, finally, we have a purpose for it. Otherwise, it's just like, we're just filling up the air with smoke, <laughs> like we usually do. Yeah, if I, I didn't have this podcast, I'd be muttering all this bullshit to myself. <laughs> as I like wash the dishes or something. <laughs> uh, today I've got a movie for you that I'm salty about to this day, very much so, and it is The Favorite. Have you seen this movie? I have seen this movie multiple times now. Yeah, what do you think about it? This movie, it's definitely the most humorous of Yorgos's movies and my personal favorite, though I'm, I am a big fan of him. And it just beguiles me, bewitches me, betwixtes <laughs> me, makes me laugh really, really hard. I think it's a lovely, one-of-a-kind film. And I love the cast. Those three women, love, 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 love. Cannot speak highly enough of them. Yeah, this movie, like, ticks all my boxes. Boxes that I didn't even know existed. It created them and then ticked them. Uh, the director is Yorgos Lanthimos, and it was released in 2018. If you're not super familiar with Yorgos, he's a Greek director, producer, and screenwriter. And he's most known for uh, his first film that got a bunch of buzz was Dogtooth, which was a foreign film. And then uh, The Lobster, which he also wrote and directed, which came out in 2015. And then The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which came out in 2017, which he also wrote and directed. So The Favorite is one of his first films that he's directed without having written it himself. Um, and we'll get more into the like writing process of, of this film because it's super interesting. But um, if you're a fan of Yorgos, chances are this is right up your alley. And if you're not a fan of his or you're not familiar with him, I would say that this is a good first film to to get your foot in the door. Yeah, I think it's his most accessible work, mm -hmm. um, though I do know many people who do not enjoy this film. And that is OK. I will need name <laughs> names and numbers and addresses. No, I will not sell <laughs> out my partner. <gasps> Dun, dun, dun. I'm going to kill them after this. Holy <laughs> shit. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm making a mental note to beat them up. Uh, so this film, I think, is uh, an astounding feat of cinema. It's also historic, which I don't typically go for. Um, historic? Really? In yeah. what way? <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell if you're fucking with me. No, like, like in what way? It's like, it's based in history. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant like it made history in some way. I mean, it did as well. But I mean, um, this story, <laughs> if you're not familiar with the favorite, it follows the life of Queen Anne, who was the queen of Great Britain um, between the years of like 1705 to like 1714. So wait, she's a real queen? She's a real person. I, that's one thing I never bothered to look up. Yeah, Yorgos is kind of a fantastical director anyway, so mm. I don't put a lot of stock in his like world building, I'm kind of just there for the performances. Yeah. And this was another one of those movies where I just like came in and assumed all these people were fake, but they're real. These were real people that existed and this was their like real relationships to each other. So wait, so the lesbian love triangle was a thing? We'll get into that a little bit later, but <laughs> <laughs> some interesting trivia about this film. It, it was written by a woman named Deborah Davis, who had never written a screenplay before. She's actually a historian. Shut up. Yeah. And so she started reading about Queen Anne and this like triangle of sorts between her first like lady or her like best friend, Sarah Churchill, and then Sarah Churchill's cousin, Abigail. And she was just enamored with their personality and was like astonished with how much like firsthand source material there was like accounts of all of this stuff happening. So she took it upon herself and she wrote her first screenplay. And similar to Brokeback Mountain, it came out in 1998 is when she, it didn't come out, is when she wrote it in 1998. And it took a very long time for it to get produced in Greenlit. So I have a question. Is the... <laughs> Do you know if the screenplay is as over the top as Yorgos brings 
his own personal flair to it. Like there's mm-hmm. like the dancing scene, for example, where they're mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. doing the patty cake and like whopping and stuff like that. Like, yeah. is that in the script or did she just kind of write this as like a historical drama piece that he then took and like. It seems very much the latter. Like she came with a very astute understanding of these women historically. And I think he infused so much of his like humor and obscurity into it. And I think they like mingle beautifully. And um, I just, I love the screenplay. It's hilarious. And I think Yorgos did, um, he had like a huge role in picking the names and choosing all this stuff and affecting the dialogue. And it keeps the film so fresh for something that's set like hundreds of years ago. They say things in ways that we would normally speak. They use like other words that are kind of older, but they say a lot of things that are just like so hilarious and so fresh. Um, Another fun thing about this screenplay when it was written in 1998, it was originally called The Balance of Power. Hmm. Uh, Yorgos didn't really like that title. And so they went through Sarah Churchill's autobiography and they compiled a list of like keywords that like kept getting mentioned. And the favorite was like at the top of the list. Hmm. So that was just a word that she used a lot to describe the situation between her and Abigail and the queen. Yeah. Who's the favorite? Who's got the favor? Exactly. So that's the title that they they landed on. And another one of the sources for the story that Deborah Davis, the writer, took was Winston Churchill, who was a former prime minister of the UK, mm-hmm. is a direct descendant of Sarah Churchill. Wow. Yeah. Winston Churchill's autobiography like also gave some source material to this. That's also desperately interesting. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and you know what? This could have been just like a straightforward period piece and it would have mm-hmm. been just like lost amid all the like ones we already have. But mm-hmm. thank God this ended up in Yorgos's hands because it, it has made it like there's no movie that compares. Or uh, Have you seen Emily, that Apple TV series? No. Where, it kind of has like a similar flair in that it is set like visually is a period piece. Yeah. But has a lot of modernization in how they speak and like Wiz Khalifa plays the devil <laughs> and or plays death. It reminds me a lot of like, I mean, we've seen other directors try to do a similar thing. One that comes to mind is Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette, which was yes. like a very fresh take. Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby, which I hated, but was a fresh take. And I think Sofia Coppola did a great job. Like I said, I don't like Baz Luhrmann's take, but it's very interesting to see how each director approaches like modernizing these historic stories. So we'll talk a lot about Yorgos's decisions through production because I think that he just he has like a little signature on things that you can't miss him but um I kind of wish they had had a clever way of saying like based on a true story in the beginning because I honestly just assumed that this was made up royals yeah and they just kind of placed it in a pretty realistic setting yeah so it makes me love it that much more that the source material is factual and he obviously took so many liberties with it. Yeah. I I thought this was like, um, like you were saying, like I thought they just said it was a queen and none of this really happened. But I was saying that to my girlfriend yesterday and she was like, they were, that was definitely like a real person. <laughs> like, I think most people know that. And I think that we're, we may just be dumb. Thanks to her for like fact checking that for us. <laughs> yeah. I want to make it very clear before I get into this plot. Like, I will say all of these names wrong. I will say all of their like standings wrong. I don't understand anything about monarchy. The first thing about Britain. So please do not come for me. I already know it's wrong. Like before I even say it, I know it's wrong. So like. Just get over it now. Just get over Save it Save yourself now. the trouble. I mean, this is a f- film by Yorgos. Like it's already out the window at this point. (laughs) The synopsis of this film is set in the early 18th century Great Britain. The film's plot examines the relationship between cousin Sarah Churchill, the Duchess of Marlborough, who's played by Rachel Weisz, and Abigail Hill, who's played by Emma Stone, who are vying to be court favorites of Queen Anne, who's played by Olivia Colman. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that setup is just already so great. Yeah. And something really cool about this movie is that all these actors rehearsed together for like a month before they even rolled and they played like a bunch of like improv together and were encouraged to like fall all over each other and like make (laughs) fools of themselves in ways that I think comes across so well in this film. (laughs) I think it's funny because Lizzie and I often talk about movies and Lizzie will be like, yeah, this actor wouldn't even speak to this other actor. He was so method. He was <laughs> <laughs> looking at you, Benny Cumberbatch. Yeah. Or like, you know, what they say about the Joker, like he he sent dead 
sheep to people on set or whatever those like stories are, which are like so hyper masculine. And this movie is just like the inverse. Meanwhile, Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone are having like a fake slap competition <laughs> in their rehearsals. They're playing like zip zap sop or something. <laughs> and hopefully getting to pet a bunch of bunnies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's jump right into the plot. So right away we meet Queen Anne, who's played by Olivia Coleman, and she is the queen of Great Britain. And she is the queen until her death in 1714. So she's a real person. She really was the queen. And then we also meet Sarah Churchill, the Duchess of Marlborough, who is played by Rachel Weisz. Uh, fun trivia was that it was supposed to be Kate Winslet. She turned Ooh, it down. She turned it down? Mm-hmm. I think Rachel Weisz did a fan-fucking-tastic job. But I would love to see Kate Winslet in more comedic roles. I cannot lie. <laughs> That's true. Like, we've seen... Kate Winslet be like a historic lesbian in Ammonite. Um, <laughs> the saddest historic lesbian of all. God, it was so fucking sad. <laughs> if any of that movie was like even a little bit funny, it it could have easily been a 10 in my book, but it was just so goddamn drab. But yeah, Rachel Weisz does a great job as uh, the Duchess of Marlborough. And like I said, she was a direct ancestor to Winston Churchill and also a direct ancestor to Princess Diana. I knew Princess Diana was going to come up in this episode. (laughs) There's no way Lady Spencer wouldn't have space here. Yeah, yeah. So um, she was related to uh, Princess Diana, Diana Spencer, through Diana's father, the Spencers. Goodness gracious. So it really is quite incestuous, This uh, the English lines. Like, they're just marrying cousins crisscrossing across the street. Like, hey, girl, want to tie knots together and keep things in the family. What's that word where you, like, give nepotism? Yeah. It's like incestuous nepotism. (laughs) Right? I think nepotism is inherently incestuous. No, no, no. Incest isn't inherently nepotistic. Yeah. You cannot have. You can't have that one without the other. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, now that we've talked about incest, uh, (laughs) we learned very quickly, like in their first interaction, that uh, Sarah Churchill and Queen Anne have a very close relationship, and Queen Anne depends on Sarah wholeheartedly to make decisions, to pick out her clothes, to to pick out what she eats. To run the country also. To to very casually run the country. (laughs) Yeah, Sarah basically makes all the calls in their relationship, and the Queen is perfectly happy with that. She's got her own shit going on. And so we see the queen unveil plans for an extravagant palace she plans to give Sarah, although they're in the midst of a large war, which the queen has forgotten about. Oh, yeah. I thought that was over. (laughs) Yeah. And funny enough, Winston Churchill was actually born in this estate like some hundred years later. Winston Churchill was born there. Oh, look at that. I know. I just got so much tidbits for you guys. Uh, Oh, I love a fun fact. (laughs) This film is really cool. It's broken up into a bunch of chapters, which I think paces it really well. So we're getting into the first chapter here, and that's when we meet Abigail Hill, who is played by Emma Stone. Another tidbit is that accepting this film caused Emma to drop out of Little Women. Which sister was she going to play? She was a, Her role was taken by Emma Watson. We're okay with it. We're Everyone's totally happy. All smiles over here. Yeah, I'm so okay with that. I think Emma Watson's role in Little Women was the least interesting. I mean, everybody has their favorite sister, right? I think Emma Watson's character was my least favorite. Whose favorite isn't Joe? That's actually so accurate. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Every 100% people of this room. Wait, wait, who's your favorite sister, Lee? Which one is Joe? Like, which one's each sister? uh, Sir Sharon and. Which one's uh, Florence Pugh? Florence Pugh, Pugh, Pugh. Amy. I actually, I think I just liked her performance a lot in that movie. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty magnetic. But I don't know if that's like the best. I'm going to go with that, though. I'm okay. going to go with that. Florence Pugh. We're locking in Florence Pugh, Pugh, Pugh. Pugh, Pugh, Pugh. Yeah, so uh, we meet Abigail Hill, played by Emma Stone, and she arrives to the estate covered in mud <laughs> after her father has gambled her life away into servitude. Thanks, Dad. Already a pretty bad start for her. <laughs> Nowhere to go but up. Uh, she's come to this estate because um, her cousin is Sarah Churchill, and she hopes to be like employed by her. Then we meet Mr. Robert Harley. He's the leader of the opposition, and he's played by Nicholas Holt. So there's not a lot of men in this film. And one of my reasons I love it so much. Yeah. And I think Nicholas Holt has the most screen time of all those men. 
Um, and he plays, like I said, the leader of the opposition. And I will just call them the wigs going mm-hmm. forward because they all wear these like very ridiculous <laughs> hair pieces. So he, him and the rest of the wigs are basically enraged at the queen. In order to fund this war that she doesn't even really know is going on, Sarah has chosen to raise like the property tax on landowners. And so the politicians are super pissed. In this next scene, we learn just how close Queen Anne is to Sarah and... How close are they? (laughs) Queen Anne basically will not take any criticisms from anyone. She like collapses over an insecurity and the only person who could speak to her with any sort of honesty is Sarah. So I have a scene to show you. Yeah, already. I'm ready for the Russian ambassador. Who did your makeup? We went for something dramatic. Do you like it? You look like a badger. Oh. Are you going to cry? Really? Well, what do you think you look like? Badger. Do you really think you can meet the Russian delegation looking like that? No. I will manage it. Go back to your rooms. Thank you. Did you just look at me? Did you? Look at me! Look at me! How dare you! Close your eyes! (laughs) Olivia Colman is a comic genius! Uh, Okay, I have to say, everyone's like, oh man, I just love that my friends will just tell me the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Sam, you are the only friend I have that tells me the full truth. The rest of my friends will not say a word if I have something in my teeth, and I am grateful to them as well. That's, you can tell me, and I won't even get offended. I'm like, because, you you know, when you have that much trust in a person, you know that they're looking out for your best interests, and it's definitely the kind of, like, relationship that they have. It's sweet. Yeah, and, you know, the way they set up the relationship between Sarah and the queen is Sarah feels almost like she could be manipulating the queen a little bit. And I think sometimes she is, though by the end of the film, you realize that she's being more honest with the queen than literally anyone Mm -hmm. and is doing the least amount of manipulation, come to find out. Um, Because I think when I first watched it, I wanted to believe that Sarah was just going to be a very like typical cookie cutter, like, oh, this woman manipulating another woman who's empowered to get more power. Mm-hmm. But then that comes later in the Emma Stone character. And mm-hmm. they're all just so much more complex than what like our typical character tropes would have us believe. And that's what makes ugh, this movie is so good. Damn. Yeah. At this point in the story, I can understand an audience member being like, oh, Sarah Marlboro is clearly just manipulating her for power. But Sarah and the queen have such like a sweet relationship in which like she knows exactly the limits of and is is very well aware of how much she can manipulate her. And she doesn't do it at the expense of the queen either. So it's it's sweet to see. It's a very interesting relationship that we don't always get in cinema. And um, it's more healthy than it appears at first. <laughs> yes. You give it some time. You'll you'll see the, the darker ways that it can go. But um, while this is happening, we see that Abigail is being treated like shit. The other servants are like pranking her. Pranking her with like hand burning lie. Isn't that how like someone scars themselves in a, in a, what's that movie we don't talk about? Where they scar themselves? Fight Club. With Fight Club. I set you up and you, I gave you the volley and you didn't take it. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, we do talk about Fight Club. (laughs) We don't talk about Bruno, but we talk about Fight Club. Exactly. Yeah. So you're leading me to my next point. Like um, the uh, her other servant friends, I won't even call them friends. The other servants like instruct her to clean this floor and she puts her hand in the bucket and it's like covered in lye and she gets this like terrible burn across her hands. So in order to like heal herself, she goes out in the forest and like gathers forges for some herbs or whatever you do in the olden timey times. She's a witch. She's a witch. She's a witch. (laughs) So, um, also real quick, one of the things I laughed the hardest at was at one point Emma Stone refers to the other maids as her colleagues. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that just tickled me so hard. Convince yourself. (laughs) (laughs) She's serving delusion. She really is. It's sweet though. I mean, she's doing her best because like, you know, I mentioned that she was gambled away into servitude, but her family, you know, she is related to Sarah Churchill. She is a was at one point in, in very good standing 
in the royal family. So she was a lady, and I think she still likes to think of herself as one, uh, even though she's a servant and she's sleeping on the floor and everyone's treating her like actual like piss. (laughs) (laughs) So um, she goes and she collects these herbs to help her hand. And then shortly after the queen is suffering from a terrible episode of gout, which I had to look up because I thought it was something that it's not, but gout is actually just like arthritis, like severe arthritis. But she has like sores as well. So it's like really, it's really bad. Ugh, sounds terrible. Yeah, so Abigail is called into the queen's chambers to to put some like bandages on the queen as she's suffering from gout. And while she's there, she's observing Sarah Churchill and like kind of trying to calm the queen down in this like rage. And she's a very calculating person, Abigail, and she very quickly picks up on this like relationship between Sarah and the queen and just for the rest of the film observes them like a hawk. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the start of that. So once she observes like the queen's gout, she makes her like a little... Polstice. It's called a polstice. Sorry, we have an herbalist here. She makes her like a goo. (laughs) (laughs) That's also what they call it. Yeah. And so Abigail sweet talks her way into the queen's bedchamber. She like fools a guard or something. And while the queen's asleep, she puts this like salve on the queen's legs. And when Sarah catches Abigail in there, she gets her whipped by her fellow servants, which is like pretty hard to watch. It's like the only scene in the movie I don't like. But later, actually, Sarah promotes her to be like Sarah's head of chamber um, because the goo worked and the queen is happy. Just like in Flubber, the goo worked. (laughs) Yes, magical goo solves everything. So then we're in the second chapter and we get a scene. (laughs) So... Oh, yeah. So while researching this film, one of the producers named C.C. Dempsey was speaking about how difficult it was to get finance for this film because Hmm. of the like lesbian content one and then the lack of male representation. I know. There can be a lack of male representation. (laughs) Is that now a thing? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's funny that it's called like a tight budget. Like this film (sighs) film's budget was like $15 million. But I mean, to pull off something like this, like set hundreds of years ago with these wigs. That many stars too. Yeah. With these stars, it probably was very tight. Um, but just I, a tight 15 mil, you know. <laughs> I rolled my eyes when I, when I read that. I was like, male representation. And then I found out that this film barely passes the reverse Bechtel. We're two men talking to each other, not about a woman. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that tickles me so much. Wait. So this They is, talk about war. No, no, no. There's no? only there's literally one 20 second scene in which Robert Harley, played by Nicholas Holt, is talking to the current prime minister, this guy in a wig, about this racing duck. About the award winning duck, the fastest duck in the county. And it, it's seriously for 20 seconds before Rachel Weiss is back on screen, like belittling <laughs> these men. <laughs> Which I just love. I really like the male characters in this movie. It's particularly the one that Nicholas Holt plays because mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for slapstick and like physical comedy. And mm-hmm. there's just so many scenes of him just like pushing Emma Stone literally <laughs> to the ground that just, it just lays on every layer of comedy. And that one really got me. And then just the duck. It is a handsome duck. It's you a very can- handsome duck. It's an <laughs> award-winning duck. It's, it's, I see so much of the like body work and choreography and like improvised. Um, now that I'm watching this again, knowing that they've practice that long with each other because they're they're so comfortable with like hurting each other. <laughs> True. I think I would need to go to like a special class to learn how to like push Rachel Weiss or Emma Stone. Like I it would take me a lot to actually go over there and push them. Like I would be afraid. I feel like Olivia Coleman of the three I would be most likely to push over. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just has like that very openness of 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 face and self. Yeah, she would probably take she it. She wouldn't be mad at me. Yeah, she'd she'd be good good sport about it. <laughs> so at the royal ball, Robert Harley finds the queen in like a moment where she's not completely surrounded by like an entourage and like corners her and is like, Hey, you really need to like rescind this property tax. You're thinking of, you know, setting to fund this war. The people are gonna be outraged. And as soon as she hears that, she's kind of like taken aback. She was like the people will be outraged, like, for real? Like, she's so out of touch. She lives in this, like, vacuum. And all that she's getting fed to her is, like, filtered through Sarah. So she really didn't know that anyone would be upset with her for, like, posing this tax. And so outside in the hallway, the queen is upset with Sarah for not, like, telling her this. 
and the queen like slaps her like open hand across the face. That was like serving me very like RuPaul mini challenge. Yes. Slap. Yeah. So she slaps her across the face and they like go into this complete like childlike romp through the castle or the state, whatever you would call it. And um, we learn later that they've been childhood friends for a very long time. Uh, so we see that kind of relationship where they're able to be really open. And so they get to the queen's chambers and in the queen's chambers, Abigail is like up in the rafters, like looking at some books or something and they run through and Sarah and the queen have sex. <gasps> Just a little bit of sex. Just a little bit of sex. A bit of sex. It's it's a weird sex scene too. Do you remember the sex scene? Please refresh my memory. <laughs> Rachel Weiss is no stranger to a very weird lesbian sex scene. Do you remember fucking what is it? The, oh, with Rachel McAdams. Yes. I've never actually seen that, but <gasps> you have given me enough details that I'm like. Yeah, spinning in each other's mouths is not standard. Okay, so I'm not going to give you any spoilers about disobedience. You should watch that movie. But this sex scene isn't as weird as that one. But um, it does involve like Olivia Coleman putting Rachel Weiss's hand like oh all the way in her mouth. <laughs> That's right. She's like taking her. Uh, like, yeah, and it's not like fingers in her mouth. It's like the knuckle <laughs> <laughs> in there. Oh my god! And you see Abigail like. Looking like wide eyed from the like rafters, like totally unsure of what to do. Yeah, she's very like, well. So once they get into the, the thick of having sex, Abigail like sneaks out of the room and now she has this big secret. So what do we do with secrets, folks? We leverage them. Okay, wait, real quick. They, this, they were actually lesbians, right? Like in the real timey world. So I was going to save this to the end, but everybody's thinking it. Like, were these people lesbians? Yorgos has said that some of this is fact, but most of it isn't. Um, Is it speculated? Because you know how we feel about a queer speculation, a.k.a. fact. It is believed by most historians that Queen Anne had no sexual relationship with these women. But it is true. I'll get into some of the true stuff later. I think we can speculate. But historians believe that Queen Anne wasn't having sex with these women. I Is she more or less queer than we believe Princess Diana to be after watching Spencer? I don't even know what that question is. Who is more likely to be gay? (laughs) (laughs) Princess Diana or Queen Anne? (laughs) I I host this podcast with you. I couldn't even keep up with that question. Uh, Probably Queen Anne, honestly. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, So outside of the room, Abigail has a big secret and um, she's cornered by Harley, who is like, come on, take a walk with me. And this is <laughs> like slaps those wine glasses <laughs> out of her hands. Yes. This is where we get that infamous uh, scene where Robert Harley like pushes a <laughs> stone down a hill. But he's basically trying to convince Abigail to spy on the queen and she refuses. And so Harley like drops her off this hill and he's like, mm, reconsider. <laughs> so good. <laughs> the dialogue is so funny and it keeps this so light, but he says something in this speech where he's trying to, you know, gain Abigail's trust, where he says favor is a win that shifts direction all the time. And I think that really is just such a great single line for this movie. Like you just see the queen shifting, like literally like sheets in the wind between these women. Even in a single scene, mm-hmm. it'll shift. And in her moods, too, she's very volatile and fragile in a way where she's like literally screaming and moaning one second and then could be like laughing and very childlike and carefree the next. Yeah, she's placated so much by like her handlers and the members of her court that she gets away with basically being a child. And um, we see a lot more of that as we continue. So the next day, while Abigail and Sarah are out shooting pheasants a la Spencer, Abigail tells Sarah that Harley has made an attempt to try to, I guess, find someone to spy on the queen. And Abigail was like, I would never do that. I, you know, although I'm not in good standing, I'm still like a royal woman. And she expects, I mean, Abigail is so manipulative and she expects that Sarah is going to be like, yay, you know, here's a cookie. (laughs) Sarah is pissed. Sarah's like, I'm supposed to believe. Like, now I'm supposed to react like I'm happy that you've told me this. Like, it doesn't make me trust you anymore. In fact, it probably makes her trust her less. Exactly. So Sarah goes off to, like, run the country or whatever, and she gets, like, a slip of paper, and she, like, 
looks at it like it's like a memo. She looks at it and she like gets up very quickly and like runs to the queen's chambers. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's all ridiculous. But she walks in and the queen is like on a ledge, like threatening to kill herself. <laughs> She's like, not this again. We've been through this twice this week. Yeah. So Sarah just walks up over to her and like a dog, like by the collar, just like drops her to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> the poor queen. She's so ridiculous. Uh, it's so sweet. It's like so endearing to watch. I think if it was anyone but Olivia Coleman, I would actually hate it. I agree. That there's so many things that could have flunked this movie to death, but it all works really so splendidly together. Yeah. So we learned that this is just another temper tantrum and the queen is just Miss Sarah because she's been busy running the company. <laughs> the company. <laughs> Dunder Mifflin, this is Sarah. Yes. Uh, so, so the queen goes, stay a while. And Sarah goes, someone must run things. I'm not food. You can't just eat and eat. And the queen says, yet you are tasty and salty. If I grilled you, you'd make a delightful meal. (laughs) (laughs) And so Sarah caves and she's like, okay, I'll see you this afternoon. Cute. So the queen is like happy now. Yeah. Unfortunately, Sarah is still held up running the company (laughs) (laughs) and sends Abigail in her place later that evening to soothe the queen. And at first the queen is very unhappy with Abigail. But Abigail puts her little charm on the queen and the queen is like smitten. So And Emma Stone's character is fabulously manipulative. She really does well with this character. The in the beginning when we when we meet her, um, Sarah says, like, your father was such a charmer. Like he had every ounce of him was was charm. And I think that Abigail definitely got that from him. So Their relationship, Abigail and the Queens, is growing very quickly. And, you know, we move on to a next chapter and we see that they're like thick as thieves. And Abigail tells the Queen that if she was a man, she would ravish her. Yeah, that's a question. Does she, I mean, does she have sex with the Queen to get ahead? Or do you think any part of her is like puts value into that relationship? I feel like I already know the answer, but (laughs) what do you think? You're the professional. No, I think it. I, it's hard for me to feel romantic about these relationships. And, and let me tell you right now, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Abigail's completely an opportunist and just sees, you know, I want to be where Sarah is, you know, so I'm just going to get as close as I can get to that. And I don't think she really cares about the queen. And I don't even think she has sex with anyone in this film because she genuinely wants to. I think it's all like an exchange yeah. for her. Oh, absolutely. Because she gets married to that court guy or whatever. And Mm -hmm. on their wedding night, just kind of like pumps him off and is like doing her villain monologue to the camera, (laughs) which I think is just so great and funny. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, but her, she tells that her first sexual experiences were her being like sold as a, a wife by her father to some like fat German guy. And so... I think she's always learned sex to be transactional. Yeah, absolutely. So this is just like an extension of that to her. She doesn't even like bat an eye at it. So the next day while they're out shooting, they always have these like very terse conversations while they're shooting things, which is like a great place to have those conversations, I guess. These uh, pheasant shooting scenes to me are like the most iconic in the film. Like when I think Uh about the favorite, I think about the dynamics in this scene and just the visual of it. It's so good and so different from how Spencer uses like the very same situation. Yeah. Um, And also I love the little pirate hat that Rachel Weisz wears in these (laughs) scenes. It's all just uh, guys like... You teed me up so perfectly. It literally says insert photo of Rachel Weiss. <laughs> she wears some of the best outfits. Uh, and unlike any of the other women in this film, she wears pants. Yes. Like she's dressed like a royal uh, man. And oof, she just looks like a little... Oof, so cute. So while out shooting, Sarah tells Abigail that she won't burden her with looking after the queen anymore. And Abigail's like, don't worry. I love it. Like we're having a great time. And as they're like having this conversation, the queen servant runs up. And Sarah's like, oh, tell the queen I'll be there in like five minutes. And the servant's actually like, the queen wanted Abigail. She wants my stone to come play. This is awkward. So Sarah enters the queen's room by herself. She's very upset that the queen would send for Abigail. So she... The scene's really hot, actually. She walks into the room and the queen is like at the other end expecting Abigail. And she walks in and she goes, Sarah goes, are you trying to make me jealous? And the queen is like, well, maybe a little. And so Sarah grabs her by the neck, 
pushes her up against the wall and like grabs her crotch at the same time. And the queen is like so into it. <laughs> she's like, someone sh should be coming in any moment now. Cause she's like, has someone sending in lobsters? <laughs> <laughs> They're having a lobster race. It's also just a, an Easter egg to the lobster. <laughs> yeah, very Yorgos. She's like, someone's sending in lobster and deer. <laughs> Send in the dancing lobsters. <laughs> um, this is just another one of those things where we see how Sarah has gotten the queen down to like a tuned. Like she knows exactly how to turn it, exactly when to. She can give her enough attention just to kind of get her, you know, to pass on. And I think she even at one point says like, oh, I'll have to go visit Anne soon. She'll be mad if I don't mm -hmm. come by this afternoon. Like she's like, uh, I can feel in my internal time scheduler that I need to put in some time with the queen. Yeah. To, like put some more quarters in the meter exactly. <laughs> to keep her running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here, I've got to show you some photos of Rachel Weiss. Oh, I said something good. I get a cookie. <laughs> yes. I'm just going to throw like a little sardine your way. <laughs> this one here. Oh my God. Yeah. I think this is like the first time we see her in pants, but it's like a, it's like a little black Aubrey Plaza number. It's like skirt but also leather pants but also thigh highs and uh what really struck me about this was like her super long side ponytail mm -hmm. um Rachel Weiss is fucking phenomenal we love her. yeah they dress her like very feminine and very masculine in this film like in turn mm -hmm. and I like all I like both I want it both ways god I love her so much she's She's so great. I'm so glad it was her and not Kate Winslet. I'm sorry. I'm sure Kate Winslet would have been great, but I, I prefer her. I love Kate Winslet, but I think Rachel Weisz definitely nailed it. And Emma Stone, too. That was such a good casting choice. That woman is incredibly funny. Yeah. And Olivia Coleman. Like, we don't even need to discuss how perfect Olivia Coleman is. It's just understood. I know. We've said it at great length. <laughs> even though she hasn't done anything gay before this, we've just talked about her a lot. <laughs> That's true. She hasn't done anything gay, has she? No. Huh. I love Olivia Coleman. If we have time after this, I'm going to make you watch a clip from Peep Show. I she, which is a show. I don't know if you guys have seen Peep Show. Um, it was on the BBC like a million years ago, but it's one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. She plays like a complete raging fucking alcoholic in that show. And she just, I think that's the best acting she's ever done. She didn't get any award for it, but <laughs> I liked it a lot. Um, so yeah, back at Parliament, um, the Queen is a gaining all her muster. She's about to announce that um, she'll in fact be raising the property tax. And before she gets a chance to speak, Harley interrupts her and pulls a complete like fucking maneuver. And he's like, let's all give a round for the queen for not raising the tax. And everyone's like, yay, queen. And he's playing off a tip from uh, Emma Stone, isn't he? Yeah. So right? he, Emma Stone has, or Abigail has been semi-reluctant to help them, but she's playing it from all angles because like I said, she's an opportunist and this like little hooray for the queen has got her so off kilter that she just faints. <laughs> <laughs> That's my defense mechanism too. get too stressed, get too tired, go to sleep. Yeah. So while they've been in parliament and the queen has fainted, Abigail has snuck into the queen's room. I think Abigail's making a lot of attempts to make like sexual passes at the queen and the queen's not really biting. So at this point, Abigail has stripped down naked and has fallen asleep in the queen's bed. And so when the queen enters, she's very upset to find Abigail in her bed because she thinks like, why the fuck are you just sleeping in my bed? She has like the covers around her. And then Abigail like gets up and to reveal that she's like completely naked. She like puts on her clothes all slow and like scampers off. She's like, oh, I just, I just accidentally fell asleep in this big old bed. Butt ass naked. Butt ass naked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Come on now. So later that night, Abigail is called to the queen's chambers to rub her leg. I've never heard it called that before, but hey, we'll take it. <laughs> what do they call it in Brokeback? Stem in a rose? Uh, yeah, stem in the rose, baby. <laughs> uh, so the, the sex scene between Emma Stone and Olivia Coleman or Abigail and the Queen is pretty iconic. And it basically just involves like Abigail, like very slowly, like going underneath the Queen's dress and like fingering her. Ooh. So we don't see much of it, but I want to show you another clip. Uh, this is Olivia Coleman on the Graham Norton show. Uh, he's asking her about her experience filming the scene. And not yes. that they say anything, but just for context, so you can paint this Graham Norton picture. She's on a couch with Nicholas Holt as well from the movie, Kira Knightley. And um, he's the main guy from Memento. Guy Pierce. The gang's all here. The gang's all here. 
The director, Yorgos Lanthimos. I mean, actually, Kira, you've talked on the show about uh, doing sex scenes and how embarrassing they can be. With, <laughs> with Yorgos Lanthimos... I didn't have uh, any sex scenes with Yorgos. No. <laughs> but he's directing them. Oh, right. uh, does he make them less embarrassing, more embarrassing, more awkward, odder? Um, no, he's very... He, you have to feel safe to, to be able to do those things. You have to feel secure, the director. You have to trust them. Um, and I trusted him completely. It was just all quite... Uh, embarrassing yeah but you had a special thing to protect because emma i think emma stone yeah she was worried about you yeah well she was so emma stone had to finger me <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, in order to sort of avoid finding anything that you shouldn't have found because it's sort of under the sheets like that and she said i'm a little bit worried about it don't worry don't worry um we'll uh I know, I know. So I asked makeup department if they had a sponge. And so I put a sponge there. I said, it's all right, there's a barrier, you'll be fine. Finger sponge. It was a big, wet sponge. Mm. So... Have you face... made up this story afterwards? No. <laughs> her face was a picture. She's going up my leg and she went... Oh. <laughs> I love Emma Stone not being able to tell the difference between a wet sponge and Olivia Coleman's pussy. No amount of improvisational games would make me okay with that. Like, I I would try to keep a straight face because on the off chance it could be her pussy. Like, I would be like, great Is this okay? here. Are we rolling? <laughs> Oh God, Olivia! Olivia Coleman is can she be? She can only be honest. She can be nothing else. Oh God, she's so good. She's so funny too. I, it would have been a dream to have to weirdly finger her sponge. <laughs> uh, so after they sleep together, Sarah enters the room to find them like naked in bed, and obviously she's devastated. She doesn't really know what to do with this. The next day, she calls Abigail into her room and starts throwing a bunch of, like, books, like, right at her face. And then outright just fires her completely. She's like, get your shit, leave. As Abigail leaves Sarah's room, she understands, like, the jig is fucking up. Like, I'm, I, I'm totally fucked. So she grabs one of the books and she smacks herself in the head with it, like, three times. It looks like she almost, like, breaks her nose. Yeah, her nose starts bleeding. Yeah, until she, her face is, like, covered in blood. And then she goes and she sits outside the queen's bedroom and just cries like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Works every time. Works every time. Until the queen walks out and is obviously like, oh, what the fuck? The next day... Sarah is walking the queen to her carriage. The queen is like going to a spa and she's basically like, look, I had to fire Abigail. She was a liar. She was a thief. And she's like saying this to the queen and she looks up and she sees like Abigail is already there at the carriage. Ooh. <laughs> Sarah is pissed. Hell yeah, she is. And so Sarah says to the queen, you will dismiss her. And the queen says, I don't want to. I like it when she puts her tongue inside of me. <laughs> Iconic. I never forgot that line. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And so she takes Abigail to like a spa or something. And Sarah follows. So Sarah understands that she's like very quickly falling out of the queen's favor. And so she makes a, an effort to keep things lighthearted and fun. And she goes to the spa with the queen and um, changes the favor back to her. Like with the sleight of hand, she does like a funny face or something and the queen like falls for it. And so they get back to the castle and Abigail's like, you want to hang out later? And the queen's like, I'm good. <laughs> and gets Oof. pulled into like a bed chamber with Sarah and they like, fuck. So it's like the the player becomes played. Yeah. And to, to give the queen some credit, she is understanding to a degree what's happening. I think she thinks that she's just being like sought after. She doesn't understand it's yeah. for like power because Sarah tells her at one point, like, you're enjoying this, aren't you? Yeah. And the queen is like, to be beloved, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so... The queen is liking it. Don't feel too bad for her. You know, she's getting banged by like two beautiful women. So just like Olivia Coleman said in her Oscar speech, I, to work with Emma and Rachel, you know, it wasn't a hardship. Yeah, exactly. The next day, uh, Abigail is making tea for the queen and Sarah as they're talking politics and she slips something in Sarah's drink. Herbs, as they call them. She slips some silly herbs into <laughs> Sarah's tea. And as Sarah's drinking the tea, her and the queen are getting into like a little spat about something political. So Sarah like puts her tea down and like, you know, gets on a horse like angrily and like rides away. And as she's riding away from the estate, her stomach kind of turns and she falls off the horse completely and gets drugged by the end of her boot. Oof. And we don't see her again for a minute, but like, as you can imagine, fuck your shit right up. I thought she was dead for a little while upon first watch. 
And I was like, well, where's, I guess the movie's about to end. We've just killed our main character. Also, I want to know what that herb is. I'm going to get me some. Yeah, it's not a case, tipsy just herb. <laughs> For like, science. Sam, would you like a Waterloo? Exactly. You're a never going to take any more fucking <laughs> Waterloo from you. Uh, so after this, um, Abigail doesn't know that Sarah's been harmed or any of this stuff with the horses happened. She just believes that like uh, she's out of her hair for now. Yeah. And so she tells Harley that, you know, I can get you some one-on-one time with the queen if you do something for me. So she gets Harley some one-on-one time with the queen and Harley kind of talks the queen into rescinding the the tax again. And then he very quickly is just like, hey, my friend is really into Abigail, but like he's royal and she's like a peasant. So like if you could super quick, like make her like a lady again. Yeah. Could you just make them make them married? Is that is that something you can do? Yeah. And so the queen is like so smitten with the idea because it's cute. It's like when you marry your dolls. And uh, the next day, the queen is informed that Sarah is missing and the queen is convinced that Sarah's doing this to like piss her off. So Mm -hmm. she doesn't send like a search party out for her. And we see Sarah wake up in a brothel. She looks really disgusting and they're not letting her out of this brothel either. They've held her captive. Yeah. And offered her a job. They've offered her a job. They're trying to put her right to work. She's so fucked up. She kind of just like falls back asleep. The next night the queen wakes up and out of this like night terror, she like finally sends like a search party to Sarah. And then shortly after... Sarah wakes up again in the brothel and like asks for her horse, asks for like them to send for help. And they're like, who the fuck do you think you are? And so she directs someone in the brothel to like go to the town square. You will find a man walking a duck. (laughs) (laughs) And he will give you 10 quid. (laughs) Yes. He happens to be the prime minister of this country and he will come back. And so that's exactly what happens. Like they find the prime minister and he comes and he picks up Sarah and takes her back to the castle or the estate. I don't really know what to call it. I like estate. That's sexy. Yeah. And so the whole time that Sarah's been gone, Abigail's been kind of unraveling. She's assumed that sending Sarah away or getting rid of her with this poison would kind of ease her mind. But mm-hmm. she kind of just is more in this place of like, God, she's going to come out paranoia. nowhere. Yeah. Like yeah. she doesn't even know where to focus her energy and she starts kind of going crazy and erratic. So... Sarah eventually does come back to the estate and she finds Abigail in this like concert hall listening to someone singing music. And Sarah enters looking like fucking Jack Sparrow. Yes. <laughs> with the little hips and little, yeah. With the like whole outfit and she looks totally fucked up. She has this like huge gash across her face. She looks crazy. So she clears out this like concert hall to speak to Abigail. And Abigail is like, Listen, I'm a proper lady now, and we don't have to fight anymore. I'm married, so there. Yeah, she's like, we could just all be happy now. And as she says that, Sarah slaps her across the face. Let's go. More slaps. More slaps, more hitting. I love movies with, like, (laughs) casual hitting. (laughs) (laughs) She's the man we looking at you. Yes, exactly. The next day, Sarah has put, like, this kind of like an eye patch it's like more feminine than an eye patch but that's basically what it is like a lacy eye patch question mark yeah it's like kind of a facial covering she puts it on to come and sweet talk the queen and what she actually ends up doing is blackmailing her yeah so she tells the queen like i have all these letters you've written me where you basically they're basically like sexts yeah from her and she's like you know i would hate these to get into the wrong hands if you don't like reinstate the tax I was telling you about and get rid of Abigail. Yeah. So it doesn't really sit very well with either of them. Like Sarah leaves, she feels bad about it. So she ends up like burning these letters. And then there's like a rap at the door and the like security is basically like, give us all your access to the estate. Like the queen wants you to leave. Hand over your key. It's really sad because I don't think Sarah would have done any shady shit. I think she was just kind of at her end. And so, I, I think of all of them, she had the country's best interest in heart. And ironically, too, so does the queen. Mm-hmm. Like when she finds out that the townspeople are upset, she's like, well, let's get some in here and, and see how they feel about it. Can you give me some townspeople to talk to? And mm-hmm. Sarah's like, you don't talk to townspeople. You just like make the war work how it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they both have different methods of going about it, but they, they do care about their grand Great Britain. Yes, Sarah is the least self-involved. And that being said, she's incredibly self-involved. Right. So, and she's really sad about, like, how things went down with the queen. So, like, as she's being escorted, escorted out, she, like, runs to the queen's room 
And she like knocks on the door and the queen is on the other side. And she just says like, do what you will, but I will not come back. Yeah. Do you understand? I will go and be gone. Abigail has done this. She does not love you. And then the queen goes, I wish you could love me like she does. And Sarah says, you wish me to lie to you, your majesty? No, sometimes you look like a badger and you rely on me to tell you. And she goes, because that is love. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I really like that conversation. It's like the most, it's when I realize that Rachel really does love the queen, you know, despite all their badness and weirdness towards each other. They've known each other for so long, basically their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And she's right. She will tell her the truth. And she's right about Abigail, too. That bitch is evil. Yeah, we see very quickly after this conversation how quickly Abigail falls into, like, the depths of her fucking insanity. And, you know, Abigail begins clearing out Sarah's chambers, you know, Sarah's apartment in the estate to live in. And Sarah says to her, oh, my God, you think you've won? And then Abigail says one of the best lines, all I know is that your carriage awaits and my maid is on the way up with something called a pineapple. (laughs) I laughed so hard at that. Something called a pineapple. This movie made me laugh out loud more than I really thought was possible. So, so good. Oh, poor Sarah. Now she gets some time off, though. She's like, well, I tried. We see her again. You know, we're coming upon the final chapter now. And we see her in the final chapter, and she looks very at peace with her decisions. Yeah, it's out of her hands. Yeah, she doesn't really have a lot to be ashamed of. I think Abigail has more to live with decision-wise. So in the final chapter, we see that Abigail has gotten incredibly comfortable in an insane state of debauchery, and she's really not providing for the queen at all. Like, the Mm -hmm. next time we see the queen, it appears that she's, like, had a stroke. Yeah. Like, one side of her face isn't working, and she's, like, covered in drool. She's just doing a terrible job keeping up with the queen, and the queen just looks so miserable and sad. So we see the old prime minister, the guy with the duck, go to Sarah's house and he's like, please, just like, I don't know what happens between women, but surely like it can be fixed. Like, could you consider writing her a letter? And the queen is like, well, maybe I'll read it if she does, whatever. It's so sad because the queen keeps looking out for this letter and she just never gets it. Yeah, she gets like more and more depressed, doesn't she? Incredibly depressed and incredibly demanding. And then at one point, Abigail plants this idea in her head that like, Sarah has been stealing money the whole time. Mm-hmm. And the queen initially is like, she would never do that. But as she keeps wait, as the queen keeps waiting and waiting for this letter that never comes, she begins to become so, like, she becomes so sad that she lets this idea of, like, Sarah being this thief, like, kind of spin around in yeah. her head. And the letter does come. Sarah does write the letter. But it's intercepted by Abigail, and she, like, burns it. Did you ever wonder at any point in the film if... If Abigail was on the same track as Sarah, like that at one point, Sarah kind of like weaseled her way into the queen's confidences and had to kind of go through the trials that Abigail is now going through. You know what I mean? Yeah. That they're on, like, they're on the same path, basically. They're on the same career ladder yeah. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> they're trying to get to the top of the same company. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting idea, but it seems like Sarah and the queen are on almost equivalent standings. Like, obviously, Queen Anne is the queen, but Sarah's very high up there in standing, and they were raised together. So I think it was less opportunistic and more just less sincere relationship that, Mm -hmm. like, turned into something that was mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, Abigail really has basically nothing to offer the queen. Yeah, that's true. She did come from, like, being a maid. (laughs) Yeah. And she's not even good at taking care of the queen. It's, It's really sad. Um... So the last couple scenes, we see that Abigail has burnt this letter, which it seems the letter seems to have been like a let's make up sort of thing from what we see, like handwritten by Sarah. So the queen tells the rest of the politicians, like, I'm banishing the Marlboros. She's stolen money from me. Like, I want them out of the country. Yeah. And so we flash to see Sarah in her estate with her husband and she's sipping the tea and she's looking out the window and she sees like a parade of like these royal guards coming to take her away yeah and she says another fantastic line she's sipping the tea and she see these men and she's not even surprised and she goes ah the male is here (laughs) (laughs) the male like the men (laughs) yeah she goes i suddenly feel so tired of england perhaps we should go somewhere else yeah and um the last we see the queen and abigail they're completely miserable yay um 
You know, I can't help but wonder why you never brought up the fucking rabbits. Oh, the rabbits. The rabbits. What's with the rabbits? I, the, this text is so rich and there's like a lot of like trivia and like other things that I want to bring up with the like accuracy and the reception from, you know, critics and such that like things like the heterosexual love story, trash. Like I'm not going to talk about that. Bunny rabbits. They didn't really come that into but, play. But but the final shot of the movie is just like hundreds and hundreds of rabbits over like their crossfading faces. Like that shot to me drove me nuts when I first saw it. And I was like, what's with the rabbits? What's with the rabbits? That's such like a Yorgosism. That was really the end of his signature. He was like, in case you forgot, I directed that. Here's a bunch of rabbits for no reason. Here's a bunch of woodland creatures. He <laughs> loves them woodland creatures. He does. God, I thought you would have an answer for me. I have no clue. I'm, I'm distraught. Just, I'm a podcast host. I'm not like a <laughs> genius. <laughs> so... A little bit on the historical accuracy. We talked about it earlier, but like I said, historians do not believe that Queen Anne had any sexual relationship with these women. But I mean, I speculate. Some people speculate. Most historians don't, but some people do. (laughs) And it was a fact that Sarah did try to blackmail Anne with the threat of publishing private letters. So that's what led people to believe that there was a sexual relationship because yeah. the content of those letters never came to light. And what else would she have written that would have gotten her in trouble? She can't cause treason against herself. She's the queen. Yeah. So hmm. we don't know what's in those motherfucking letters. Could have been gay. Nudes. <laughs> okay. So the reception with a budget, like I said, of $15 million, this film went on to make $96 million worldwide. God damn. Yeah. It's a fucking good fucking movie. Yeah. Um, it tied with Roma at the 2019 Oscars for most nominations with 10. Oh, so it was like the Dune and Power of the Dog of 2018. Yes. Yeah. So since it's Oscar season, I do want to touch on a, the categories it was nominated for and, and how it did in those. Um, but similar to Brokeback Mountain, I I mean, the Academy doesn't know what to do with films with like actors of the same sex with the same amount of screen time. Mm. presenting both all in lead roles like Brokeback Mountain is one thing there's two characters but they really didn't know what to do with this movie I mean they all had semi-equal screen time I would be hard-pressed to decide on any day who the lead character is right so the screen time goes Emma Stone at the top with 57 minutes and then Olivia Coleman with 49 minutes and then Rachel Weiss with 42 minutes of screen time. That's only because she was in that brothel for so long. <laughs> That's it. Well, I mean, who would you say is the lead of this? Do you agree? Because it fell into Olivia Coleman, best actress, and then Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone both being submitted for supporting. I don't necessarily agree with that because I think they're all leads. Yeah. <laughs> I think the story is equally all theirs. But, you know, if that's what the Academy has to do to get all three of these women a nomination, like, so be it. And, and who won? I know Olivia Coleman won. Did either of the other two ladies win? I don't remember. I'll get into it in a second. But I just I want to say that I believe that Olivia Coleman and Emma Stone should have both been nominated for lead actress and that Rachel Weisz yeah. could have been supporting, even though I, I believe she's the protagonist. I don't necessarily believe she's the lead. Right. And I think that right, we yeah. really stick with Emma Stone for the majority of the film. So, yeah. So also like Brokeback Mountain, the best picture of this year is widely contested. Everybody hates it. Favorite was up for best picture and it lost to Green Book. I'm still angry about that. <laughs> I don't know about you. Yeah. So the only it was nominated for 10, like I said. So best picture, lead actress, supporting actress director, original screenplay, cinematography, film editing, production design, and costume design. And it lost all but one. No. Yeah, the wonderful Olivia Coleman was the only winner of the film, yeah. God, I don't remember that. I think that's, I don't, I don't really remember what came out that year. I know Roma and stuff did, but. Best picture category was Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, Star is Born, and Vice. So she did beat Gaga. She beat Gaga. That's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it still should have gone to Roma, but 
honorable mention the favorite <laughs> but some of those other categories like i think editing was spectacular uh, editing went to fucking dumbass bohemian rhapsody which is one of the worst edited <sighs> films i've ever seen in my life no one watches bohemian rhapsody for the fucking editing i know it was also not done well like which was super annoying uh supporting actress didn't go to either of the other women it went to regina king for if bill street could talk which i feel like makes sense fair enough director went to roma alfonso Cuaron. Original screenplay went to Green Book. Cinematography went to Roma, which I didn't know Alfonso also was the cinematographer for that. Yeah, it was like a very, very small crew how he did it. It was very like run and gun, which I think is cool. Hmm. Production design went to Black Panther and costume design went to Black Panther. Okay. I get it now. (laughs) Fine. Yeah, I just... I wanted more love for the favorite that year. That I think we were at the same Oscar party that year too, you guys. And I was really upset about this I one. I bombed that year. I didn't get anything right. I did not see fucking Green Book coming. <laughs> not at all. Oh, embarrassing. All right, Sam, do you want to explain the rating system? Yeah. So the rating system, we get two categories. We each vote out of 10 and then it's average. So the two categories are how gay is it and how good is it? How gay is it? How good is it? Lizzie, how good is this? How good is it? Uh, Very, very, very good. That's a nine. It's so good. I'm giving it a 10 because I really have absolutely no notes and I'd be happy to watch it anytime. Yeah. How gay is it? Also extremely gay. Uh, A 10 in that there is gay sex and queer characters and blackmail. That's a 9.75 people. That must mean you give it a 10 as well for gayness. I absolutely give it a 10. I mean, lesbian sex. Come on. We see it like three times. Yeah. We got the wet sponge. We got the wet sponge over here. (laughs) Olivia Coleman's wet sponge. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. So Lizzie, what have you learned? I can tell you what I haven't learned. What the fuck do those rabbits mean? Why? Why the rabbits? Why so many rabbits? Why? Yeah. So the real Queen Anne didn't own any rabbits. It's just a symbol. For what? A symbol for what? Yorgos. Seventeen little Yorgoses hopping around the set. Uh, I think he just wanted to have bunnies on set. Yeah, I mean, why not? He's like, <laughs> I've got the lobsters. Check. check. Can't do deer, so I'll just do bunnies. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah. What is his next movie gonna be? It's gonna be called like the Kittens of Belfast or something. <laughs> the kittens. The kittens of Belfast. This episode was produced and engineered by Lee Garcia. Your hosts are Lizzie Guitro and Sam De La Fuente. Editing by Lizzie. Music by DJ No. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at SubtextualPod.